Welcome back to Fight Night with Fred. I'm your host, Fred. In the last episode, we made our fight predictions for UFC 294, and when I tell you that we cooked, I mean that I gave you a five-star gourmet meal with those picks last episode. Now, last episode, we did something that has never been done on this show. Actually, we did two things that have never been done on this show. First of all, we had a guest, and he did a great job. It was very fun having him for conversation, and yes, he will be back for the Christmas special. Also, we made some money on this podcast, okay? And look, I got to get this out of the way. For those who have been taking my gambling advice, those brave souls, thank you. Thank you for writing through and following with that gambling advice. Now, not only my parlay hit, but even Preston's parlay hit. I don't know if it's just the luck of having a guest or if we just manifested hard enough. I don't know. Maybe it was my bad jokes that, you know, have finally led me somewhere. Anyways, my parlay paid out $4.54, which puts me up at $1.54 profit. So we finally made some money. Very happy. Anyways, uh, we did have a little bit of drama in the desert with UFC 294. And, you know, it's really embarrassing what happened just for the UFC as a whole. Um, this fight was down in Abu Dhabi. And so keep that in mind. It's in Abu Dhabi. But it's between number two ranked Magomed Ankalaev versus number seven, Johnny Walker. And this is at light heavyweight. So what happened was... According to MMA Junkie, an unintentional knee was thrown to the head by Magomed Ankalaev, which caused a stoppage. Um, you know, the referee had to come in there. He had to make sure that Johnny Walker was okay and still good to fight. And so he gives Johnny a second, and then he walks up to him and asks, hey, where are you? Johnny replied, quote, in the desert. The referee and Johnny, they have a huge language barrier. You know, because that referee, he was sanctioned in Abu Dhabi, and Johnny Walker is Brazilian. That's where he trains, that's where he lives. Like, huge language difference. But, so the referee, he decides, okay, Johnny can't fight. He's taking too much damage. He doesn't even know where he's at. And Johnny Walker, he's ready to keep going. So the fight gets called off, and then Johnny, he's still ready to keep going. And so the coaches, they're jumping in, trying to keep the peace, um, Dana White had to come in just like to make sure that everyone knew that the fight was over. It was complete chaos. It was so embarrassing for the UFC. I'm not even like, clearly I'm not a member of the UFC or, or on their payroll or even an intern. Like, but that's just embarrassing. That is so embarrassing to see, you know, you've got people with clear language differences and it costs them a fight. Now, granted, it wasn't no contest, but still, this was in the first round. And this is between the number two ranked guy at light heavyweight, which is a division where everything is going on. This is not a dormant division anymore. And you've got Johnny Walker in there. This man, he's a circus. This man is a walking circus. And we're going to let a language barrier stop a fight when both guys are clearly good to go. That's just, it's terrible. I really hope that that fight gets rebooked. I mean, because of, the, uh, because of the title fight that we have coming up, I don't think that it will. However, it's just, that's going to be the one that got away. Anyways, with that no contest, I am now 14 for 18 
on my picks. Um, that puts me at a 77% accuracy. Now, this week, we have a complete banger at UFC 295, which is going to be down in New York City at Madison Square Garden. We've just got some incredible fights on this card, but again, we have some really bad luck with our main events. We had a late injury for the main event in back-to-back um, big UFC cards, which is really sad. John Jones ended up tearing his pectoral muscle during a workout, and according to Dana White, he nearly ripped his pec off the bone. And an injury of this caliber normally takes about 6 to 12 months to fully recover. However, we need to remember that John Jones is an old man in this sport. John's 36. And if that injury is as bad as Dana White is making it sound like it is, you know, I hate to say it, but I think that's the end of the GOAT. I really do. Um, John Jones, he made it no secret that he wanted to fight Stipe just to build that legacy, even at heavyweight, because we're always going to know him as a light heavyweight, but just to build it at a different weight class too. So that way when people go back and they look, oh my gosh, this guy was insane. He only lost one fight and it was because he was whooping another guy and he used illegal elbows. But, you know, six to 12 months when you're 36, going to turn 37 this year, you know, that'll make you about 37 and a half, 38 by the time that you get back and you want to fight Stipe. Stipe hasn't fought in about two years. So then that's going to be what, two and a half, three years worth of ring rust for Stipe. I don't know if either of these guys are going to be able to fight. And I don't think that John wants to fight any younger heavyweights because he knows that he's probably going to get knocked out. I hate to say it, John Jones is the greatest MMA fighter of all time. But, I mean, plus, that's just a terrible money move for him. Because John's trying to build his legacy. I mean, look, like, neither, no big guy at heavyweight is really like a legacy fighter anymore we've lost so many fighters with these great legacies now it's all young guys all guys that haven't proven themselves but anyways i think that this is going to be the end of john jones and if it is then i genuinely need to say thank you to john jones okay he made me a fan of mma and the ufc in particular now granted he is not some clean-nosed super sportsman-like underdog, but he's the reason that I started watching the sport, okay? This is the same guy that, you know, he, he's done steroids. Um, he's admitted to doing cocaine before fights, like weeks before, let me clarify, but, you know, he has DUIs. He's run away from crime scenes and car accidents. This is not a good person. However... He's a good fighter, and he's the reason why I started watching. So, you know, I can't sit here and support him as a person, but I can sit here and support him as a fighter. So through all the scandals and all the terrible life choices that John Jones has made, I've got to thank him. I've got to give the man his flowers. Now, with all that out of the way, what's going to happen to the main event? Well, we are getting the fight that I have been dreaming about for months as our main event. We have Yuri Prohaska versus Alex Pereira for the light heavyweight title. Now, I have said it before. I don't know if this should be a title fight. However, 
that doesn't take anything away from it. I'm still very, very interested in this fight. Um, that was going to be the co-main event before John Jones ripped his peck like it was string cheese. But what's going to happen next with the co-main, since we're just going to move that up? Are we just going to move everything on the card up one spot? Heck no. Dana White said, this is Madison Square Garden. I got to give the people what they want. And that he did. We have Tom Aspinall versus Sergey Pavlovich duking it out at the interim heavyweight title. So with interim stuff, you know, they really expect John Jones to come back. I've just made it clear that I don't expect him to come back. However, these two guys are the faces of the future for the heavyweight division. And these are two guys that I, again, don't think that John Jones, he won't want to fight them. They're young, they're fast, they're dangerous. And again, it's not much of a legacy builder. However, these guys are two of the biggest rising stars and two people that, I mean, look, as long as no one gets seriously injured in not only this Tom Aspinall versus Sergey Pavlovich fight, but even the Yuri Pohaska versus Alex Pereira fight, look, I like all four of those guys. As long as no one gets seriously injured where they have to take time away from the sport, I am going to be a happy man. You know, does that impact my picks? No, because I like all of them. However, this is going to be really fun to watch. I'm very, very excited to watch this. So what are we going to be doing here today? Well, let me fill you in, okay? We're going to be dissecting my five favorite fights from this card. And this week, it just so happens to be the main card. Uh, we're going to dissect each fight. I'm going to make my predictions. And then also, I'm going to give you a little bit of gambling advice for each bout. And then I'm also going to give you a little parlay at the end. And right now, we're on a win streak. I know. I know. Anyways, um, all odds that I'm going to be using today are through Caesars Sportsbook and Fliff. And I use Caesars mainly because it's trusted by a lot of big media outlets and it's been pretty reliable thus far, but I also use Fliff because I know a lot of you guys can't use Caesars yet. And as long as you're 18, you're allowed to use Fliff. So yeah, those are the two that I'm using. Um, remember, odds are subject to change and not all sports books use the same odds. However, let's get this thing started. So starting this card off, we have Pat Sabatini versus Diego Lopez at Featherweight. And you know, this is a pretty Pretty close matchup at Featherweight. You know, let's get started with Pat Sabatini. He is a good grappler with really solid wrestling, and he's decent with presser when he's on top. Um, the grappling, though, it's just off the charts. It's incredible. You can always find... He will always find a way to submit someone, okay? His striking, it's been getting better, but he's still pretty stiff on the feet, you know? It, you can tell that he's not very comfortable striking. Pat has a chin, though. You know, uh, it really hasn't been tested much yet, but we've seen him eat a few shots. I mean, nothing crazy, but he can take a shot or two. According to his UFC webpage, he averages about four takedowns per fight. However, he also averages less than two significant strikes per minute, which is pretty awful. Sepatini is coming off of a comeback submission over Lucas Alexander. However, he's taking on Diego Lopez, who's a very dangerous grappler. Um, he's currently coaching some of the better fighters out of Mexico right now. Uh, his takedowns are subpar. The takedown defense, it's not great. However, his Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's dangerous. 
it is lethal. On the feet, he loves to throw heavy, powerful shots trying to chase a finish. Um, this man loves to headhunt. And when he does that, the striking, it tends to get a little crazy. However, he's pretty good at thinking, like, he keeps things in combinations, and he's pretty good at that. Got to give the man his flowers. However, Diego, he's always going to be trying to get the fight to the ground, and understandably so. I mean, I would too if I was in his shoes. His Brazilian jiu-jitsu, off the charts. It's incredible. Some of the best in the featherweight division. And he will catch you when you least expect it. And we saw this in his last fight where he submitted Gavin Tucker. In that fight, he was taken down pretty easily. However, he still did win this. You know, Diego, he's really one of those guys who just, he trusts his Brazilian jiu-jitsu so much that he just doesn't care how many times he gets taken down. Now, what do I think is going to happen here? I really think that Pat Sabatini is going to win this fight. Now, don't get me wrong. Diego, as we've mentioned, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's great. However, that's about all he has. Okay, I can't trust him not to get taken down. I can't trust him to take someone down. I can't trust him to do anything on the feet. Um, you know, Pat has decent striking. It's definitely better than Diego's, but it's still not great. And the takedowns are going to be there all night for him. I, just, I don't see Diego submitting Pat. I know that both guys, both guys are kind of getting fraud checked this week. But, I mean, I think that Pat is less of a fraud than Diego. Um, the odds of Caesars Sportsbook right now have Sabatini as a minus-130 favorite to win. And, you know, I'm rather confident in his ability to win this fight, especially with those odds. So we are taking Pat Sabatini for that fight. Moving on, we have number 14, Matt Frivola taking on Benoit Saint-Denis at lightweight. Sorry, almost light heavyweight. We're getting to that, I promise. But this one's at lightweight. This one, this is a hidden gem of the card, okay? Both of these guys are killers in the octagon who just love to walk their opponents down. Um, Matt Frivola, he's very tough. His wrestling is great. Um, his striking, it's not the best. It's not very technical. However, it doesn't... T- it just doesn't stop him from moving forward and throwing these huge body shots. According to ESPN, he averages about three takedowns per fight, and he has a pretty low accuracy for takedowns at 36%. He's coming off of a huge underdog win against Drew Dober, and in that, he finally cracked the chin that couldn't been like it, it hadn't been cracked yet. He exposed Drew Dober, and again, Drew was a pretty big favorite coming into this. He's taking on Benoit Saint-Denis, who's a pretty good wrestler in his own right. Um, He has great timing with his striking, and he can keep you down when he gets on top. He's known for having his pretty good takedowns. He has five UFC fights and 13 takedowns, which is just crazy considering that he's only been to the third round once. Um, When he gets on top of you on the ground, he has great pressure, and he's going to try a few submissions. You know, he's going to work through his arsenal. On the flip side, though, Benoit, he's very, very hittable. He doesn't like to move when he's on the feet. Um, He's coming off of a win against Thiago Muizes, where he had five takedowns and four times as many significant strikes landed. Um, Now, this is a very, very good fight. Both of these guys have really good wrestling. They have legitimate power, and they keep solid pressure. Um, Matt Provola's, his confidence, it's just, it's rolling right now. Um, the discipline and the fortitude of Benoit, though, it's not a joke. 
right now the odds are pretty they're pretty ugly i'm not gonna lie you know benoit saint is a minus 210 favorite right now and matt Favola is a plus 175 underdog now i gotta be missing something there's no way that matt Favola is a plus 175 underdog i just i don't understand that one and because of that and because of my newfound confidence in my gambling abilities I'm going to take Matt Favola to win this at plus 175, okay? I just, I don't understand what it is, but I just, I see Matt Favola winning this. This is a much closer fight than people are saying, and I honestly see this as a 55-45 fight. You know, it's going to be one of those where just, I feel like either guy could win it, but with those odds, yeah, let's roll the dice. Let's have some fun. So Matt Favola is going to be the pick there. Moving on to our feature fight of the night, we have number five, Jessica Andraj taking on number seven, Mackenzie Dern. This is a really interesting fight, okay? Jessica Andraj, she's back at strawweight. Um, she dropped back down to strawweight, and she used to be a bully in the division, okay? Yeah, I get it. She is on a three-fight losing streak, but don't let it fool you, okay? Jessica, she's a contender at multiple weight classes and... A former world champion herself. Her striking is pretty decent, but she has a lot of power in both her hands and her legs. She will physically dominate, and despite always, well, almost always being the smaller woman, she is really, really good at imposing her will physically. She's five foot one, but she's very, very physical. Her Brazilian jiu-jitsu is not the best. Her takedowns and her takedown defense, they're not very technical. However, she's going to force fights to the ground, and then she's just going to pummel you. She's a bully. You know, that's just, that's the best way that I can describe her. She is a bully. However, if she cannot bully you, she cannot beat you. She's taking on Mackenzie Dern, who's an amazing grappler. Usually, she's an issue for anyone who could not defend the takedown. But lately, we've been seeing her striking grow and it's just, it's not something to mess around with. Uh, she has an atrocious 15% takedown accuracy, which is just insane considering how off the charts her jujitsu is. And in her last fight, she fought Holly Hill, and we saw two things. We saw one, the striking is getting exponentially better. Two, we saw the takedowns are terrible. So, if she is in this fight and, you know, she's on the feet, just, oh, I don't know. I can really see um, this fight being on the feet and then Mackenzie Dern throwing a takedown from just a mile away. However, I think that Mackenzie Dern wins this. Jessica, she's been shown that um, her takedown defense, it's not great. And I know that I've just been ragging on Mackenzie for her bad takedowns, but I feel like she can get one on Jessica Andrade. Um, her striking and her power, it's not bad. It's not bad. But with Jessica, it's all power, no technique. Mackenzie, she's been showing everyone that her Brazilian jiu-jitsu is lethal and she just does not give up. You know, I could see Mackenzie going in there, getting beat up for a little bit, and then submitting Jessica. Caesars has McKenzie as a minus 190 favorite, and I like those odds. 
that's going to be the pick. We have McKenzie winning this one. Moving on to our co-main event. We have number two, Sergey Pavlovich, taking on number three, Tom Aspinall, for the interim heavyweight championship. Now, I am so happy about this. Um, when I saw that this was the replacement for the co-main event for what would have been um, Alex Pereira and Yuri Prohaska, I nearly threw my phone just out of excitement. I couldn't contain myself. This is the people's championship of the division. You know, this has been like, because I mean, look, everyone who follows the UFC and follows John Jones and both John and Stipe, for that matter, knew that both guys were going to retire after this fight. You know, they were both going to put the gloves down in the octagon and both going to thank their family and thank God and all that. But, you know, we knew that one of these days we would see this as a championship fight. And granted, it is it's the it's for the interim belt, but still, I count it. Okay, these guys, they bust their butts. These guys are still on top of the division. Okay, so really, I don't think that this should be an interim belt, but I think that it should just be the belt in general. However, I'm very, very excited. Okay, this division, it's looking great. Okay, we have young talent. We have these we have both Sergey. And uh, we also have Tom, but we also have like young talent like Cyril Gaon, okay? The future of heavyweight, it's bright and it's beautiful and I love it. Now, let's actually dissect this fight. So we have Sergei Pavlovich, who is an absolute beast of a striker, okay? Most of that comes from the hands. He doesn't really like to use the kicks as often. However, he has insane power and just crazy hand speed for the heavyweight division, Um he has a lot of trust in his chin, which can be a little bit problematic, but his speed is normally able to keep him like one step ahead from the punches. And so far, he does not have any recorded takedowns in the UFC, and he's only been taken down once so far. However, that's going to be tested soon. So yeah, he's coming off of a first round knockout over Curtis Blades, making it his sixth first round knockout in a row. Yeah, he's pretty dangerous. He's going to be taking on Tom Aspinall. Tom is most likely the most well-rounded heavyweight in the UFC right now. He has good striking, solid wrestling, excellent hand speed, and he's a black belt in jiu- uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He has good defense with a diverse attack style, and he just loves to mix things up. Like He loves mixing things up on his opponents. He just loves to. It's really fun to watch, actually. Um, he's not just a heavyweight striker, however. Plus, he has a 100% takedown accuracy and a 100% takedown defense, and he averages roughly four takedowns per 15 minutes. He's coming off of a win against uh, Marcin Tybora, and then he had to take away um, about a year just because of a knee surgery. And this fight is extremely difficult to pick. Very, very, very difficult to pick. Uh, Sergey, he was the backup fighter to John Jones and Stipe. So we know that he's been active. We know that he's been working out. He's been getting ready to fight just in case. So Tom, he's on short notice. Um, he is the replacement fighter. Sergey, he's got that insane hand speed and power, but really, we haven't seen much else from him. And also, with those six first round knockouts in a row, it's, you know, we haven't got to see that gas tank. 
You know, we don't know what he looks like in the third round. We don't know what he looks like after someone's taken him to the ground a few times and, you know, tried doing some ground and pound, tried to submit him. We don't know what he looks like after that. And there's a lot of uncertainty there. But with that power and at heavyweight, when you have big bodies like that doing stuff, in the octagon, it's like anything can happen. Anything can happen. Um, you know, plus we haven't even seen Sergey get past. Like, we haven't seen him get cracked. You know, we haven't seen him take a shot where he's a little woozy. And it really makes it hard for me to bet on him then. You know, um, right now, Tom Aspel is a minus 115 favorite. And last I checked, Sergey is a minus 110 favorite. So it's a very, very close fight, almost a pick em. But I feel like Tom is the more complete fighter here. And so I really feel like I can take him to win this fight. Granted, it's incredibly risky, okay? Now, if the fight stops early, if it stops in the first round, Sergey wins it. I'm just going to put that out there. Sergey wins if it's a first round stoppage. However, I feel like if we make it into, say, if we make it past two and a half rounds, I really like Tom's odds to win this. But again, we haven't seen what Sergey looks like even at the start of the second. So, you know, this is a really, really risky fight. But we're still going to bet on it. I'm feeling a little too confident. Scared money doesn't make any money. So let's cook. We're going to take Tom Aspinall at minus 115 to win this. Okay. Now for the main event, we have number one ranked Yuri Prohaska taking on number three ranked Alex Pereira for the light heavyweight title. This is a complete banger of a main event. This is a bombshell. I've been spending the last three weeks thinking about this fight in particular, okay? Because originally I was going to have this as the co-main event and then talk about how John Jones is just going to embarrass Stipe, but I didn't know how this fight was going to go. I really had to think about this one. And then, you know, John Jones gets hurt. And so now this is going to be our main event, but still this was going to be my banger of the night. Um, I know that... I've said it before, like, I'm not sure if this should be for the title because I really thought that it should have been um, someone like Magomed taking on Yuri. However, this, is, this fight still makes sense. It still makes sense. And quite frankly, this is one of the closest fights for the belt that we could have. And that just shows you how stacked this division is right now. You love to see it. Um, you know, and again, before I get started here, I really want it to be known that I am an avid fan of both guys here, all right? I remember when Yuri got hurt, I was very, very sad because I really wanted to see that Glover Teixeira rematch. Um, Alex, he's just, he's funny. He's just funny. And he's just one of those guys where, like, you kind of have to like him. You know, even if you're, say, a diehard Israel Adesanya fan, you, you got to respect the guy. You got to like him, you know? So... Again, as I mentioned earlier, as long as no one in this fight gets like brutally hurt where they can't fight for a while, I will be a happy man. Now, let's dissect this. So we have Yuri Prohaska who is coming off of a shoulder injury 
And when that injury was announced, the doctors were saying, oh, this is, you know, one of the worst shoulder injuries that we've ever seen. And, you know, I kind of think that they were just saying that primarily because Yuri only had to take one year off. One year and it's the worst one that we've ever seen. Look, I get it. It's 2023. I mean, granted, it was 2022 when it happened, but you still know what I mean. You know, it's not like this is in the 1800s where like if you blow out a shoulder, you're in a body cast for five years. Like, I get it. We got good medicine. But if it's the worst one that we've ever seen, it kind of makes sense that you'd have to sit out a little bit longer. Um, plus, like three weeks after the surgery, um, he was on Instagram doing shirtless workouts in the woods. So I'm not sure what to believe there. However, Yuri is probably the most crazy fighter in the UFC, and I mean that in the best way possible. Um, you know, he loves his shirtless workouts in the woods, which is just funny. Um, but even before that Glover Teixeira rematch, before he got hurt, he admitted earlier this week that he was in a dark room for three days where he did not eat. And he was in there to, quote, fight his demons. Okay, plus this guy is a full sam like he's a full time samurai when he isn't just destroying people in the octagon. Okay, this guy he's crazy. I love him, but he is crazy. Uh, he's a phenomenal striker. Okay, almost all of his twenty nine wins come by way of stoppage, and yes, he only has three fights in the UFC, two of which have been won by insane second round knockouts. And the third one was when he came back against Glover Teixeira to win the light heavyweight title. Um, I remember a lot of people said that Glover was just piecing Yuri up all night, which, I mean, granted, you know, it was a very, 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 very close fight. But a lot of people make it sound like, oh, of the 25 minutes, Glover won 24 of them. Like, nah, no, no. It was probably 13 going for Glover and then 12 going for Yuri, but... Anyways, with like 10 seconds left, Yuri Prohaska submits Glover Teixeira. So this guy doesn't give up. You know, he's just, he's got an insane gas tank. However, he's known to be extremely hittable, okay? Uh, he gets hit with nearly six significant strikes per minute, which is just ungodly. Um, his chin, it's held up pretty well. He has a 66% takedown defense. And like I just mentioned, Yuri, he's never out of a fight. And his cardio is just, it's bonkers. That's the best way to put it. It is bonkers. And he's going to be taking on Alex Pereira, who is an elite kickboxer. Um, he used to be a champion back in glory, which is essentially the UFC of kickboxing. Uh, he's been, he's beaten Israel Adesanya three times, twice wearing kickboxing, once in the UFC. And after moving up to light heavyweight, he looks incredible. He's this big 6'4 guy, um, he seems to be healthier and quicker than ever, especially after not having to cut that weight to get down to middleweight. Um, the path to beating Alex is through the takedowns. And yeah, you know, he has a 70% takedown defense, but he has been taken down eight times. Um, he's coming off of a close win against Jan Blahovich. And, you know, he was pretty dominant on the feet, but not as great on the ground. Now, how do I see this playing out? I've been thinking about this for a while. I've really been thinking about this because 
at first, this was one of the, like, it's just one of those fights where you look at it and it's like, how do I pick who wins this? But I've come to an answer. I'm going to take Yuri Prohaska to win his belt back. Now. I really think that Yuri can do it. I got to break it down for you, though. So, Alex has a gaping hole in his game that I feel like Yuri can expose come Saturday night. Now, look, I understand. Alex has insane power, especially with that left hook and that striking ability. It's insane. But I think that this is going to be a war. Okay? I don't think that someone's going to walk in there, get knocked out in five seconds. It can happen. We've seen it happen. However, I feel like this is going to be a long fight. Alex, he loves to plant his feet. You know, he did it all the time in kickboxing. He wants to make this a kickboxing fight. You know, that's his strategy. He knows that he's going to win if he does that. However, Yuri's bread and butter is moving forward with intense high-pressure combinations that Alex has not seen yet. Yuri loves to throw these little five-piece combinations. And normally, when Alex receives a combination like that, he tends to go on his back foot, which is where he's the most vulnerable. Okay, look at when Alex got knocked out. Um, he was on the back foot. He was on the back foot. However, let's, take, let's completely switch it, though. When Alex gets a knockout, though, his feet are always planted. Or he's just walking someone down. Sometimes we've even seen both. However, you know, when he's getting those long-form combinations thrown at him, he tends to back up and just reset. And that's something that Yuri, Yuri just does not let someone do that. He's never accepted anyone doing that. He's going to put him on his back foot. Yuri, he is an avalanche of a fighter. This man does not let up, okay? That red light is not going to stop him. He's going to blow right through it. Um, you know, take a look at the fight between Jan and Alex. Jan, he was throwing these three-piece combinations, and Alex, you know, he just, he would back up and reset, and Jan would let him. And, you know, we saw it mess with him a little bit, especially to begin the fight in, like, that first, uh, first round and probably the first third of the second round, if I remember right. But you could see it was messing with him, and then his corner made some adjustments. But those were with three-piece combinations from Jan. This is Yuri. Yuri, he doesn't let people reset no matter what round it is. And he's not going to be throwing three pieces all night. He's going to be throwing five pieces. Heck, we've seen him throw ten pieces. And he's not even ground and pounding. Like, it's insane. Um, you know, you might be saying, oh, yeah, like, you know, let's take a look at Israel Adesanya versus Alex. You know what? Let's actually do that here. Okay? That was a fight that was tailor-made for Alex. Okay? Izzy, he likes to fight a slow methodic decision-based style. Yuri, he is not that way. He's going to throw the kitchen sink at you. And it is for that reason that I am going to take Yuri Prohaska to win this belt back at minus 110 odds. Okay, it's parlay season. So in the last episode, we snapped our losing streak. And this week, we are back on our tomfoolery. So for this card, there's a lot of really risky picks in this parlay. However, I'm a little overconfident today. So let's just do this, all right? First of all, we got the Oz through Caesar Sportsbook. And for those who can use that bookie, great. I'll give the flip odds in just a little bit. Now, through Caesars, first of all, we have Pat Sabatini winning at minus 130. 
Then Matt Frivola with an upset win at plus 190. Mackenzie Dern takes care of business at minus 190. In our co-main event, I have Tom Aspinall winning at minus 115. And for the main event, we have Yuri Prohaska at plus 110. This is a five-leg parlay, and this comes out to be plus 2,921 odds, meaning that if you put a dollar down and it hits, you'd be walking away with $30.21. Now, moving on to Fliff, our odds, they're going to change a little bit. Pat Sabatini stays at a minus 130 favorite. Matt Favola drops to a plus 180 underdog. Mackenzie Dern jumps to a minus 210 favorite. Tom Aspinall becomes a minus 130 favorite. And Yuri Prohaska is now a plus 105 underdog. This five-leg parlay comes out to be 2,552 odds. So when I put my $1 down and this hits, hopefully... I'll be walking away with $26.52. Let's make some money, boys. Now, we've got some UFC news. I took three weeks away from this, so we've got a little bit of news. Um, you know, let's just take a look at what we got on the docket today. So, Uncle Dana, he's really going out here and making some complete bangers of fights. We had a really big rumor about an upcoming fight, which ended up to be false. And we also had a guilty plea in the news. So let's just go ahead and dissect this. Um, starting off, we're going to have Jorge Masvidal, who pled guilty to battery charges against Colby Covington after he sucker punched Colby in Miami last year after their fight. So for that whole situation, if you don't remember, um, Colby, he was out to dinner. He was just hanging out in Miami. Jorge saw him. Jorge got mad and just came up from behind and sucker punched him. Um, Colby broke a tooth, if I remember right. I think that that's about all. Maybe he had a broken nose, but I know for sure he broke a tooth um, in that argument. However, obviously, charges are filed, and this is not only a bad look for the UFC, but also for Jorge, especially since Jorge's retired. Uh, you know, this is terrible for Jorge's legacy because right now the only thing that's supporting his legacy is he was around during the Kimbo Slice era. He has some cool highlights from back then. And then that knockout over Ben Askren. That's about it. Okay, name one other cool thing that he did. What, he fought for the BMF belt? Get out of here. Get out of here. What, he never won a UFC belt in his life? <laughs> okay. Like, what are we doing here, man? What are we doing here? So, Jorge, you played yourself. Congratulations. Moving on. We had a pretty big rumor. We had um, the rumor that Islam Makachev would be taking on Charles Oro, uh, Oliveira for their second fight, which was supposed to happen back at 294. But the rumor was that it'd be headlining 297, which, again, it was just a rumor. Dana White came out and he said, hey, this isn't happening. But for everyone who believed this, let me point something out. Let me point out how dumb that would be. That's A, an extremely quick turnaround for Charles. Now, granted, he was, sorry for Charles, for Islam, he was preparing for Charles for months, you know, but like that's, come on, that's a terrible idea. That's such a bad turnaround. You do not do that. And Islam, unlike Volkanovsky, realizes that. So that's great. However, I'm sure that this fight will be coming out pretty soon. Um, I don't expect it to be UFC 300. I still have no idea what they're going to do for 300. And 
I'm very, very excited to see what happens for 300, which is going to be in April. However, I expect it to probably happen around 301 or 302. So now for the fights that have actually been announced. We have three bangers. Three absolute bangers. Well, actually, two bangers, one that I'm kind of not looking as forward to. Now, UFC 297, the one that was just rumored to be headlined by Islam versus Charles 2, it's going to be headlined by Sean Strickland taking on Drikus Duplessis for the middleweight belt, which is a fight that I have been waiting for. Now, there was a big rumor for a while saying that Drikus wasn't going to get a title shot after beating Robert Whittaker. And, I mean, I'm glad that Dana White saw that that was pure robbery. Because if he didn't, then I don't know who would. You know, um, I just I love the idea of having Hamzat wait too. Because yeah, Hamzat deserves a title shot. He does. But we've got one champion, a guy who already has deserved this title shot and hasn't gotten it. I mean, granted, part of it was injury, but still, like there was a big rumor that he wasn't going to get that title shot that he rightfully deserved, which is just terrible. Um. Anyways, I do feel like Hamzat should get the winner of this fight, which he most likely will. But this fight between Sean and Drikas, I am so excited because Sean, he is one of the smartest fighters. Uh, and he showed it against Izzy. He showed it against Izzy. I remember that was my first episode for this and I was sleeping on Sean. I have woken up. I am awake. I see Sean and I see what he's doing. So... You know, I'm really excited to see him because I just I hadn't seen him fight, especially live through that lens yet. But ever since then, it's like, oh, my gosh. And like you go back and you watch some of his other fights, you watch his sparring and it's like, dang. That guy, like he's actually a lot better than people are saying. Um, but then Drikas, I've been a Drikas fan. All right. I like Drikas Duplessis and he's very unorthodox. He's weird. He's weird. However, it works for him, okay? He uses it to his advantage. He knows that he has an awkward fight style, but he loves it. And, you know, you just got to love when you see someone using that to their advantage. Um, the trash talk with this is also going to be incredible, okay? Sean, he says some wild stuff. We've seen it in just about every single fight. Um, if you listen to the Joe Rogan experience, you've heard him say some unhinged things. Drikas, he's still going to talk some crap. He's going to talk his crap. And I'm really excited to see those guys go back and forth. Also, this is going to be the first middleweight title shot that hasn't been headlined between Alex and Izzy that I'm actually super excited for. Because, let's be real, Adesanya fights for the bell are snooze fests, unless he's fighting Alex. Now, yeah, we can throw in Robert, uh, we'll throw in Robert Whitaker there. We'll throw him in there too, just to be fair. But aside from that, he ran through everyone in the division and they were all just boring. They were boring. You know, like I, I tried to get a buddy into UFC and we watched an Adesanya fight and he dang near fell asleep. Like it's, it's not that fun. However, as my way too early prediction for this fight, give me Sean Strickland. Give me Sean. However, it's going to be a heck of a fight, and 
I'm very, very, very excited to see this go down. Now, moving on to UFC 298, we have Alexander Volkanovsky versus Ilya Teporia. Now, this is both good and bad for Volk. A, it gives him some time off, okay? We've been needing that. Volk needs that. I went on a rant last week of how Volk needs time off. He needs to think things through. However, Ilya was, to, Ilya was expecting this fight in January, if I remember right. And, you know, his camp had already started. Ilya Teporia, he had been ready because, you know, it's Volkanovsky that you're fighting. You have to be ready. But he's known for his head kicks, too. Ilya is known for his head kicks. And, you know, what caught Volkanovsky in that last fight against Islam? A head kick. Um, even with that extended time for Ilya Teporia to train, I really think that Volkanovsky is going to win this here. Um, again, it's a really quick turnaround. But I'm also kind of fascinated to see how Volk handles that. You know, we saw him get pretty emotional after that last fight. Um... But still, you know, he's gunning for GOAT status. I'm, I don't know if he can get it anymore, though, quite frankly. I mean, you're getting old and you're doing side quests. Like, that's... Like, yes, yes, he should have fought Islam again, but at a different time. Fight the guy in your division first and then move up a weight class. Then you do that. Give yourself a full camp. Uh, I mean, I get mad again. Now... For our last announced main event, we've got something really fun here. Um, you know, this is a rematch that I wanted for a while, but now I'm, I'm not so sure how I feel about it. Headlining UFC 299, we have Sugar Sean O'Malley taking on Marlon Cheetah Vera. And, you know, if you tried to sell me on this fight like six months to a year ago, I'd be all in. I'd be so ecstatic. And, you know, I get it. Uh, Cheeto, he was... Sugar Sean's first loss. Um, granted, it was by way of injury, but still, like, he lives in Sean's head rent-free. But at the same time, Cheeto, he's won only one fight recently. He's ranked number six. Like, I don't know. I understand giving Sean that fight just because, you know, that's who Sean called out. He wants that. But at the same time, there's a lot better fight this, that could have been made. You know, he could have had that rematch with Aljo. Um, would have been great. But still, you know, it's, it'll be a decent fight. Um, Sean, he's grown a lot, and he's developed exponentially as a fighter since that fight back at UFC 252 between Cheeto and um, Sean. But I like Sean to win this, you know. But again, there's just much better competition at the bantamweight division right now. So, with all that being said, that's about all that I've got for you for this upcoming card and the UFC um, news for the day. Thank you very much for joining me on the ride. I hope that you have an amazing weekend. Go out, have fun, tip your server, and Godspeed.